Okay, we're beginning here with the Mishnah on the top of Kufnun Amud Aleph. The Mishnah says, Lo iskor adam poalim b'shabbat. A person may not hire workers on Shabbat. Rashi over here says that this is a violation of the Pasuk in Yishayahu that dictates the proper conduct and spirit of Shabbat, where we learned earlier in the Mesech that it says, Mimtso that you're not allowed to or you must desist from taking care of your needs. And chetzecha over here mean your property needs, your labor needs, anything to do with your business needs. You must desist from them on Shabbat. And included in that would be the hiring of Poalim on Shabbat. Rashi in the Gemara Beitza discusses why Mecca Chumemkar transacting on Shabbat is problematic and brings one of two possibilities. One possibility is what he mentions over here, which is Mimtso Chetzecha. The other possibility is Shema Yichtov, because maybe you might write something down. And that would also be influential over here. It might be that you can't hire the Poalim because it's Mecca Chumemkar. It's involved in transactional issues, which could lead to writing on Shabbat. And that's why it would be restricted over here. But that would be only a Gzeira de Rabbanan, or because of a Gzeira de Rabbanan. On the other hand, if it's because of Mimtso Chetzicha, then it's because of the Divrei Navi Yishayahu. And we're going to see later on in today's Gemara, it seems that that might have at least an aspect of Do'oraita to it, and would be a much higher level restriction or violation if it was Mimtso Chetzicha that you were violating when you were hiring workers on Shabbat. And Rashi over here notes that it is Mimtso Chetzicha. Person shouldn't say to his friend to go and hire workers on his behalf. Gemara asks right away, that doesn't make any sense that you need to tell me that because anything that I am restricted from doing, so do I am restricted in asking someone else to do it on my behalf. And you can't ask them to do it in a beira on your behalf, which is a problem of lifnei ver lo titen michshol, or it's a problem of engaging in the Ber Davar, which is speaking about business matters on Shabbat by asking someone else to act on your behalf to hire Poalim. So it's obvious that that would be restricted if it's restricted for you to do it, and therefore the Gemara has to come up with what is the Chiddush of this part of the Mishnah. One may not settle down at nightfall by the edge of the Tchum, the Skorlo Poalim, in order to go then and hire workers, or to bring other merchandise back for himself. The Tchum, which we're going to learn about upcoming in Masecha de Ruvim, is that the city has a perimeter around it which is considered to be the area of the city in which you can walk, and then from that perimeter of the city you're allowed 2,000 amot in every direction, which is your Tchum Shabbat, that is the area that becomes your settled area inhabited area for Shabbat, and you're allowed to go to the edge of any of those areas. Now what the Mishnah says is that if you travel late on the day on Shabbat to reach the edge of the Tchum, which is mutar for you to do on Shabbat, you're allowed to walk to those areas but your intent is then to, after Shabbat, continue on to do something that that would be restricted like hiring Paulim or to bring payroll for yourself, that would be problematic because you're going to the edge of the Tchum with the intentions of doing something that, which would not be allowed to be done on Shabbat and therefore it would be improper to bring yourself closer at the end of Shabbat in order to exercise your ability then after Shabbat to do something that would otherwise be a sewer on Shabbat. So that's the restriction over here of Machshirim al Tchum. Aval. On the other hand, you can bring yourself closer to the Tchum or the edge of the Tchum in order to go guard your payroll. Because that would be something or an activity that would otherwise be permitted on Shabbat. And since it's permitted on Shabbat, you can engage in bringing yourself closer to do that activity after Shabbat. We'll speak about exactly how you go about doing this or when it's permissible. But in theory, it's permissible to do such because you're not engaging or intending to engage in any activity that would otherwise be a sur on Shabbat. If it happens to be that there are also perot there when you go out to your field, you're allowed to bring them back, because that's incidental, that's not your major intent or your primary intent, 
that's not your primary intent in going out to the Tchum at the edge of Shabbat. Tosafot on the next Talmud, which is really on the Mishnah, asks, Hashtomashma from the Mishnah, it sounds like Dafkala Tchum. That's only if you go to the edge of the area that is permitted for you on Shabbat. If you want to go somewhere within the Tchum and go hire workers after Shabbat, that would be totally permissible. Then you could do that. You could go to your friend's house and wait there and then hire him right after Shabbat, and that wouldn't be problematic according to our Mishnah. The problem is that later on in Masechet Eruvin, we're going to see that a person is not allowed to go and bring himself closer to the entranceway to the city or the area where there is a Beit HaMerchatz to go to the bathhouse immediately after Shabbat. And one is not allowed to go out to his field to see what the field needs immediately after Shabbat. So how come over there you're not going anywhere to the edge of the Tchum and yet it's saying that you can't do such activity or engage in such activity even Tolchat Tchum. So Tosafot makes a key distinction which is important, which is, Vomer Rabbi, the Halta Minkara Milta, In those cases that are mentioned in Eruvin, it's obvious why you're going to that location. It's obvious that you're going to that location to be the first one into the bathhouse after Shabbat. Going to that location so you can be the first one into the football game after Shabbat. If you're doing something where it's obvious that the intent of where you're going is to do something that otherwise would have been impermissible on Shabbat, and you're doing it to get yourself closer, even though it's not on the edge of the Tchum, that's problematic. On the other hand, in our case over here, like hiring Pohalim, it's not so clear. Could be going over to your friend's house to go have Sudash Lishid with him, to go have Malam Malka with him, or to hire him to do work for you. It's not clear why you're there. It's not obvious why you're there, and therefore that's why it's permitted to be done on Shabbat. So that's a key distinction, that the edge of the Tchum, it's obvious that you're trying to go outside the Tchum, and that can only be possible, permissible, when you're doing something that could otherwise be done on Shabbat. Within the Tchum, you could even go to places where you would do things that you wouldn't be allowed to do on Shabbat. That's only if it's not obvious why you're there. If it's obvious why you're there, and it's going to be to do something impermissible after Shabbat, then you can't even do it within the Tchum. Within the Tchum, if it's not clear why you're there, then you can go there with the intent of doing something after Shabbat because it's not clear why you are actually moving to that alternate location before Shabbat is over. Klal Amar Abba Shaul. Abba Shaul gives us a principle to understand the Mishnah, which is Kol Shani Zakai Ba'amirato. Anything that I can articulate or say on Shabbat and would not be a violation of the Bedaber Davar, speaking improper things on Shabbat, then Rashai Ani Lachshichalav then I'm also permitted to do such a thing, meaning go to the edge of the Tchum and wait to do that immediately after Shabbat. So if I can speak about it, then I can take myself to that location to wait to do it immediately after Shabbat. And once again, the Gemara is going to discuss all of these items and all the parts of the Mishnah. So now the Gemara says, This is the question that we raised already in the Mishnah. What's the difference between him and his Chavero that the Mishnah needs to bring us this Chiddush that he can't tell his Chavero to do this on his behalf? We're speaking about a non-Jewish friend. Not speaking about a Jewish friend where it's obvious that you have a problem with but rather we're talking about a non-Jewish friend and this is what we would call Amira Le'akum, that you're instructing the Yaakov to do it on your behalf. So Matifla Ravashi, Ravashi says, why does that help the situation? Amir Le'nachri Shvut isn't telling a Nachri to do work on your behalf, to do something that's otherwise a Surah and Shabbat on your behalf. Isn't that a Shvut? Isn't there an Isur Durabbanan in engaging in such an activity? If that's the case, then why does it matter 
that it's not a Jew, rather that it's a non-Jew. Okay, if it's a Jew, you have a problem of lifnei yiver lotitem yechshol. If you have a non-Jew there, then you have a problem of amir la'akum, which is a violation of daber davar. So it's the same problem. Why does that solve your problem? It's in the Chiddush of the Mishnah. It's obviously Asur, as we already noted earlier in the Masechta, in the Mishnah, with regards to extinguishing a fire. That if a non-Jew comes to extinguish the fire, you can't tell him, Kabeh, put it out. Or we have to tell him, Al don't put it out, because you can't have the Goy working on your behalf to extinguish the fire. So we see that that is problematic. And Rabbi Givager wants to prove from here that the real problem with hiring Paulim on Shabbat is Shemi Yichtov, is Gzer Rabbanan, by the fact that the Gemara calls it here, Amir Lanachri Shvut, that this is only a problem mid Rabbanan. Because if it was the problem Mimtso Chepzecha, as we're going to note again, we're going to see in the Gemara, it seems to be that that takes on a status of something akin to a Doraita, a Torah-level prohibition, then engaging a Nachri to do that would also be in violation of a Din Doraita, either because, as Tosavot says, it's included under Mimtso Chetzicha, or because of Daber Davar, and if it's subsumed under the same Pasuk in Yishayahu, then it would also be a Din Doraita, or akin to a Din Doraita. And just like it's simple to you that Mimtso Chetzicha is restricted, so too Amir Lakum should have been restricted, because whatever the violation is, is a Torah-level violation. On the other hand, if you believe that the problem here is a Gzeira Drabanan of Sheme Yichtov, then it's subsumed under the restriction of Amir Lakum, that's only a Din Drabonon, and therefore it makes sense here that Amir Lakum Shvut is only a rabbinic institution, and we're not dealing with the right-to-level restrictions. And for that reason, Rabbi Vager wants to suggest that the better explanation of why Poalim are restricted here is because Shem because maybe you'll come to write, or you have to make the suggestion, like we discussed earlier with regards to Amir La'akum, that this is a case where you told the Akum to do it before Shabbat. Then you're not in violation of the Pasuk of Daver Davar O Mimtoch in violation that you actually created a shliach through the nachri to do your work, and that might only be an isud rabbanan, and that's the suggestion of the svatemet over here. But depending on how you explain it, it might actually have nafkaminot as to what is the problem of Amir Lakum. Is Amir Lakum only applicable when you have a isud do'uraita that could be violated, and therefore the Amir Lakum is problematic, but if it was only an isud rabbanan, we would call it a, what's called shvut to shvut, a double derabonon. Maybe it should be mutar, and therefore there would be larger dispensations over here. Or, when it says, amir lakum nachri shvut, is that even in problems derabonon, like shemayichtov, there's still a problem of amir lakum, even though it's a shvut to shvut, even though it's a double derabonon. So that will be influential in determining what you think the dispensations are for Amir Lakum when it's only a Dindar Abonan that you are violating. And that, again, might relate to what you think the problem is of hiring Poalim on Shabbat. And there are those, like the Chedusha Aran, the Me'iri, and other Rishonim, that bring the possibility that this was not actually a statement of fact, but rather a Bitmi'a rhetorical question, which is, Matkivarvashi, Amir Lanochri, Shavut. What do you mean? How could you suggest over here that a Goy would be problematic in this case? Because Amir La'akum, when it comes to a Din Dirabonon, is not problematic because it's a Shvut to Shvut, it's a double Dirabonon. Amir La'akum is only applicable when it comes to Dine Do, right? Not Dine Dirabonon. And then that would be, again, taking one of the two sides that we noted before with regards to when does Amir La'akum apply. The Ran rejects it for exactly that reason, saying that we find in many instances that a Shvut to Shvut, meaning that Amir La'akum, even with Dine Dirabonon, is a sur 
on Shabbat. And therefore he says that that explanation, that reading of the Gemara is not plausible. Elaim Cain, you read the Gemara here like the Sfatimed suggested, which is that here the Amir Lakum is on Erev Shabbat. And therefore, since it's on Erev Shabbat, and it's dealing with an Easter de Rabbonon, maybe in that instance you would be able to be Matya Shvut Shvut, unlike the other cases of Shvut Shvut in the Gemara, where it's actually on Shabbat itself, where it would be impermissible. That would be a way to deal with it. But this obviously has ramifications for when is Amir Lakum problematic. So El Amar Ravashi, so Ravashi offers an alternative, which is Afilu Taima Chaver Yisrael. Maybe he's even speaking about his friend, the Jew. HaKamash Malan, it's coming to teach you, Lo Yomar Adam Poalim. It's telling you that you can't tell your friend to go and hire workers on your behalf. That we know already, as Rashi says, it's obvious because of Lifnei Iver Lotiten Michshol. Aval, the diuk is what is important, which is Omer Adam Lechavero, Hanireh Shetamodi Milarev. Can you get together with me this evening? Meaning that there are languages or there are expressions or articulations that are mutar and Shabbat. The problem with what you said here is that you told him to go and hire workers for you or you told him you're going to hire him as a worker. On the other hand, if you don't express it with the Easter involved, you simply say to the person, can we get together this evening? And in that, there's nothing that you said that includes malacha. Might be that you know why you're getting together, and he knows why you're getting together, but nevertheless, since you didn't articulate that, it's not a problem on Shabbat. And that's the deal, out of the Mishnah. It's only when you articulate the Isur that it's problematic. If you simply want to get together, like you say here, can we get together and talk after Shabbat, since you didn't mention any Isur, it would be permissible. Umatnit and Mani, and then we'd have to say our Mishnah follows the position of Kirab Yoshua ben Karcha. Like that position, Rabbi Yoshua ben Karcha, Tosafot over here, like he does in numerous other places in Shas, Bechorot, in Bobabatra, and in Psachim, discusses who this Rabbi Yeshua ben Korcha is. There is a suggestion that ben Korcha is Rabbi Akiva, and this is Rabbi Yeshua, the son of Rabbi Akiva, who we find other places in Shas, and they base it on the Mishnah in Bechorot, where Ben Azai calls Rabbi Akiva Kereach, calls him a bald person, but that's because he's a Talmud Chover, and he was saying it in a joking manner. The Rabbeinu Tam thinks that that's implausible because nobody's going to make that his permanent name when it's a derogatory term. Never doesn't make sense. In addition, he brings a number of stories that seem to indicate that it wouldn't be possible that Rabbi Yeshua ben Korcha would be the son of Rabbi Akiva because of stories that involve him, Rabbi, and Rabbi Akiva. And given the age differences, the stories wouldn't make any sense. So he rejects that view that this is the son of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva did have a son, Rabbi Yeshua, but his name is not Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha. The Tanya, lo yomar adam lechaviro, hanira te'atamodimil erev. The Tanya Kama says, you can't tell your friend, let us get together this evening, without any, again, articulation of Isur, even though maybe you both know why you're getting together. Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha omer, omer adam lechaviro. He can say to his friend, Will it be possible that you'll get together with me? Do you think you could get together with me this evening? And therefore he would be the author of our Mishnah, because then the diok of the Mishnah would be that Chiddush, that you can't say to your friend, Go hire Poalim, or let me hire you as a Poel, but you can say to him, Let us get together, or maybe you think we could get together this evening, and then you can take care of the business once you get together, because you didn't articulate it on Shabbat, and therefore it would be permissible. Amar Rabbi Barchan, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Aloha, Rabbi Yeshua ben Korcha. So now we have Rabbi Yochanan telling us that the locha is like Rabbi Shua ben Karcha. What is the reasoning behind his position over here? Seems to be that you're still engaging in the same activity in the end. Why is the articulation so important? Because the Pasuk says, 
that it, you're not allowed to engage or deal with your business matters, vidaber davar, or speak about matters that would be impermissible on Shabbat, dibur asur, hirhur mutar. Articulation or speaking about them is problematic, hirhur, simple thoughts about those matters are not problematic on Shabbat. So therefore, over here, where you just say, let's get together, even though in your mind, and maybe even in his mind, that you guys know why you're getting together, that's all in your thought process. Thoughts are not restricted on Shabbat. Only dibur, only speech or articulation is problematic on Shabbat. You should just be aware that we read the Gemara the way it's printed in our Gemaras, but there was an alternate girsa in many of the Rishonim. The Ran brings it, and some of the Rishonim seem, from the questions of some of the Rishonim, it seems to be that they had this girsa, which is that Kamash Malan, not like Rabbi Yeshua ben Korcha, that our Mishnah is unlike Rabbi Yeshua ben Korcha, and then you run into a problem, which is then, why does Rabbi Yochanan paskin against Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha? Because we know that Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan, Aloha Kistam Mishnah. And then therefore our Mishnah becomes a Stam Mishnah, that's against Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha. And how could Rabbi Yochanan paskin like Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha? The Sheotot, for instance, paskins like the Tanakama. And many question, how did he do that? Because our Gemara says that the Aloha is that Dibur Zasur, Hirhur is Mutar. And then how do you reconcile that with saying that Rabbi Shubh ben Korcha is incorrect over here? So you have to answer one of two things. Either the Birke Yosef makes a suggestion that the Shotot is following the Girsa of those Rishonim, and why is it problematic, even though it seems to be that Rabbi Shubh ben Korcha says it's fine, is because Hirhur is only Mutar when it's simply Hirhur, it's just thoughts. But if you speak or articulate something that can be construed or intends to convey other information, then that would be problematic. It's no longer considered to be Hurhur. That's considered to be Dibur. And that's a possibility of how you can explain why this would be problematic, even if you believe only Dibur Zasur and not Hurhur. And we would go, or passing against Rabbi Shuman Karcha, because Rabbi Shuman Karcha is allowing you to say something that doesn't inherently have something wrong in the articulation, but through it, you would intuit a problematic thought. And that would be Asur. It's only plain Hurhurim that are Mutarim. That's one possibility to deal with it. The Nitziv, on the other hand, makes the suggestion that, based on Tosafot, back on Kufiud Gimel, where Tosafot says that Mimtzol Chetzacha restricts any type of Mekachu Memkar, irrespective of whether it's Dibur or Hirhur. Mekachu Memkar are completely Asur. It's only qualified with regards to Daber Davar. When it comes to speech or articulation on Shabbat, there we say that if it's just Dibur Chol, then you can't speak it. But if it's just something that's a thought, it would be okay. And so based on that, you could say that this understanding of Dibur Asur, Hirhur Mutar, is only when you're talking about items that are not Mekach Memkar. If it's Mekach Memkar, irrespective of what it is, whether it's a Dibur or a thought, it's problematic because of Mimtzol Chetzicha. And based on that, that you can then differentiate between Rabbi Shub and Karcha and the Gemara's conclusion of Dibur Asur, Hirhur Mutar. Rabbi Shub and Karcha speaking about business transactions. There, it doesn't matter whether it's just a thought or a dibor, because it's mimtzol chetzicha. On the other hand, daber davar, that's speaking about divrechol. There, it's dibor asur, hirhor mutar, as long as it's not mekachu memkar issues. That's another way to reconcile that alternate girsa and to explain the shotot ravachai that seems to paskin like the Tanakama and still paskin like dibor asur, hirhor mutar. So then Rami Le Ravacha Bar Ravuna Lerova. So he asked the following question. Does Rabbi Yochan really make this distinction between articulation versus thoughts? Alma Hirhur Lab Kidibur Dami. 
you would conclude from that that thoughts are not classified like articulation or speech. And there, again, who was in Eretz Yisrael and then later came to Bavel, as we saw on the top of Kufmem Chedam and Aleph, they came to Bavel. But here, once again, he's the same Amora saying in the name of Yochanan, one is allowed to be my hair in Divrei Torah in any place, with the exception of the bathhouse where people are, are naked, and in Beit HaKisei, which would be an improper place to have Divrei Torah. From there, you would seem that Hirhur, even thoughts are considered like articulation of Divrei Torah, and therefore it's inappropriate to learn, even by thought, in these places that you're not allowed to engage in Torah study. There it's different to be, There you have to have it be that you are Machaneh, your encampment is Kadosh, and that fails. Rashi over here says that the absence of the word Dibur in the Pasuk shows you that any type of engagement in Torah requires a machanecha kadosh, requires an area that is clean or appropriate and does not have problems like erva, doesn't have problems like beta kisei, which would be inappropriate for divrei Torah. And since it doesn't mention the word dibur, it would mean both dibur and hirhur. And as Rashi says over here, the taima, the reason that you need machanecha kadosh, the Torah tells you that you need to make sure that you have bathrooms outside the machaneh and you keep the machaneh kadosh. If somebody comes to me that they get ejected from the machaneh, is mishum d'Israel maharim tamid b'divrei Torah. That Israel are always thinking about divrei Torah. Since it's always on their mind, then you have to keep the Machanet Kadosh so that they can continue to think the Divrei Torah. This might relate to the famous question that is asked by the Baal Yatosafot in the Gemara and Brachot with regards to how is it that we make Birkada Torah in the morning and then after we go out and do work all day and come back and learn Torah again, we don't make a bracha. Why don't we consider that to be a hefseik? So the Baal Yatosafot suggests over there that one never leaves the realm of Limerah Torah because Limerah Torah is always something that a person thinks about, and over there we also noted that the grid Salavechik Zatzal notes that it also is because a person, when they conduct their lives, conducts it al Torah, and therefore even when they're engaged in quote-unquote secular activities, it's guided by the Torah, and the Torah is always a part and parcel of the person's subconscious when they're interacting with the world, and you see something like this in Rashi over here, the Torah is always on the mind of the individual, they're always being meharher in Torah, and therefore it's something that is a continuous engagement, and that's why you need the Machanecha to be Kadosh. Had it not been for what Rudashi suggested over here, I would possibly suggest that it's to do with the Mishnah and Avot. Mishnah and Avot says that when a person engages in Divrei Torah, learns Torah, even if he's a Yachid, the Shechina is present. So since the Shechina is present, it has to be done in a Machanecha Kadosh, and therefore a Beit HaKisei or Beit HaMerchatz would be problematic, even if Yeruah is Lav Kedibur Dami. Nevertheless, the fact that you're engaged in Torah study means that the Shekhinah is present, and that is incongruous with having a Beit HaKisei or Beit HaMerchat, and that's why there it's problematic as opposed to by Shabbat. And the Gemara says about that, wait a minute, even by issues of erva or nakedness, it says, lo davar. As Rashi says over here, davar is like dibur, and therefore it seems to me that erva is only restricted when it comes to dibur and not hirhur. So there, at least with regards to the Beit HaMerchat, Maybe you should be able to have Yerurim there because the only problem in the Beit HaMerchatz is that people are walking around naked, which would be inappropriate. But it says, how we buy the Kerub Yehuda? No, lo we have a different limud that we get from there, which is, Dam Rav Yehuda, Akum Arum, Asur Likrot, Kriyat Shema A naked non-Jew 
is problematic for reading or engaging in Torah study or in saying Kriyat Shema, Ma'iri Akum. why do you have to talk about a non-Jew? I feel Israel Nami. Even if he is Jewish, it's problematic. Man says, no, no, love me by Yikamar. I'm saying not only. Love me by Israel. Of course, by Israel, it's the Asur. Avalakum. By Yenadju, Gavin Dichtibay, Asher Basar Chamurim Bisaram, because it says about them that their flesh is like the flesh of donkeys, Imashapir Dami. Maybe I would say that it's okay to read Kriyachmakinek Dam, Kamash Malan, that that is not the case. Kamar says, Imahokanami. How do you know it's not the case? What mitigating factor do you have here to tell you that it's not Basar Chamurim and it is an Erva? Amarkral, the post by Noach and his children says, when shame and Yophit come to cover their father, it says that they did not see the erva of their father. Their father is Noach, who is not Jewish, and nevertheless it calls it an erva. So you see from there that the goy has a status of erva. Now, what it seems to be, the two stages of the Gemara, or the Chakira that you would say is, is erva something that's problematic inherently? which is that the nakedness of an individual is what prohibits you from engaging in Torah or engaging in Tefillah, Kriyat Shema. And that's why it's restricted. If that's the case, it shouldn't be any difference between a Goy and a Jew. And that's the conclusion of the Gemara. On the other hand, if you believe that it's Xerat HaKatuv, that the problem of Erva is not because Erva, or the nakedness inherently, is problematic. Rather, it's Xerat HaKatuv, that Erva is problematic for Kriyat Shema. If that's the case, then you have to look at what the Pasuk, or what the Torah, deems to be Erva. And if the Torah only deems a Jew to have Erva, or to be considered Erva in Xerat HaKatuv, then maybe the goy would be excluded because it says basar chamurim bisaram. Not literally that they're donkeys, but it just they don't have the status of erva with regards to a halachic construct. And if that's the case, then maybe you could say kriyat shema The answer is that the Torah creates or says that even within a halachic construct, erva applies to a non-Jew. Or the Gemara could be answering, you got it wrong. It's not a gzeret It's just a general human condition, which is it's inappropriate to do this in front of someone who is naked because of the thoughts that might come to mind or improper thoughts or impropriety of doing such a thing. And that would apply equally to Jews and non-Jews. And therefore the Gemara concludes that that's what they use for. And because of that, dictates by the guards of Divrei Torah. And therefore even Dibur and Hirhur are problematic over there. Whereas by Shabbat, where the Pasuk is governed by the Daber Davar, their only Dibur is Asur, whereas Hirur is Mutar. From the conclusion of the Gemara over here, it would seem like there's no problem with Hirur on Shabbat. And that means that when you engage like Rabbi Yeshub in Karchal, when you say something that involves getting together or hinting at something, but not explicitly saying it, it would be Mutar. The Tosafot Arid over here is a little bothered by that. How could it be that you can be involved in transactions or engaged in transactional activity on Shabbat just because you do it, derech rimizah. And therefore, the Dosafot Darid suggests over here that it can only be in this situation where you're inviting to meet you on Motzei Shabbat. Because then the business or the transactional part of it will only take place after Shabbat. But to indicate it on Shabbat itself or to be romaze to something on Shabbat where that would create the transaction or the business aspect of it, that would be problematic even according to Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha. Kamar says, V'dibur mi'asir. Since when is articulating these types of activities on Shabbat problematic? They both say, When it comes to engaging in calculating, accounting for things that involve a mitzvah, that is permitted on Shabbat. Now, Tosafot says 
that that would make sense if the Isser of the Berdavar was only an Isser de Rabbanan. Because then you can have dispensations. When it says Dibur Asur, it sounds like it's Minatorah. This is what we said before, that it seems from the Gemara over here that the Berdavar, even though it's a Postuk in Ishayahu, is nevertheless classified as something that has a level or some sort of construct, Mido Oraita. That's what Tosafot says over here, Perish Minatorah that this would be a Torah-level prohibition. If that's the case, you wouldn't have dispensations to do things like mitzvot over here. And that's the nature of the Gemara's question. So how do we get to an Isidoraita from an Isidorabanan or an Isid that's found in the Navi? What you probably have to say is that the definition of the Shabbaton that the Rambam and the Ramban seem to indicate it is part and parcel of the Dindoraita of Shabbat, which is that there is an atmosphere or an Avirav Shabbat that needs to be maintained, and that's subsumed under the restrictions of Shabbaton, which is a din d'oraita. That din d'oraita is then qualified or explained by the Navi Yishayahu, and therefore those things that are mentioned in Yishayahu are subsumed under that din d'oraita of Shabbaton. And in that way, it makes it a level d'oraita problem, or you have to say that it's more than a din d'orabonat, because divrei Kabbalah and divrei Torah, and since divrei Kabbalah and divrei Torah, it elevates it to a Torah-like status, not that it is actually min Torah, and therefore it can't be like a Dindar Abonan where we have dispensations. And that's the nature of the Gemara's question over here. How do you have dispensations here for mitzvot if it's either Divrei Kabbalah or Divrei Torah? And it also shows you that the Apostle Kinyi we take very seriously that it's a very high-level Easter, not just a regular Easter der Abonan. Even though Tosavot back on Kufraf Aleph Omer Aleph says that it's Kuleya Dindar Abonan, Nevertheless, over here he says it's a dindo, right? The Rebbe Kivager, to reconcile them, says that it has to do with the nature of the malocha that you're engaged in. If you're discussing an issue or a malocha or something that is attached to a malocha doraita, then it takes on a status or a problem of doraita level proportions. And if it's only a durabonon, that you would be in violation. It would only be a rabbinic level problem, meaning that they... Daber Davar and Mitzoch Hefzicha reflect the underlying malocha that is associated with either one of these items. One is allowed to gather together monies for the Aniyam on Shabbat or to ask the people in the shul to commit to giving monies towards the needs of the Aniyam on Shabbat. These are activities that even though they are similar to Mecca Chumemkar, they're nevertheless allowed to be done on Shabbat. And here you're articulating, you're speaking about these matters, and it's Vedaber Davar, and you're speaking about them on Shabbat. Why is that permissible? What's interesting about Rebbe Lozar's statement over here is that Iran says, how is it permissible to be posik tzakad and yim Shabbat? Because we know that the Mishnah in Beitza says, Eimaktishim b'yom tov, and Eimarichim b'yom tov. You're not allowed to view hektesh on yom tov, you're not allowed to do or engage in arachin on yom tov. He does bring from the Rebbeinu Hanano the possibility that hektesh is only problematic when you're makdish a particular object because then it looks like mekach umemkar. Whereas over here, when you're makdish monies to the anim, it's a more generic or general statement. He doesn't like that answer because ein marichin is also problematic, that you can't take a neder or commitment to bring something that is monetary value and not transactional in nature. Although the Beit Yosef says that in erachin, it's still closer to mekach umemkar because when you makdish something, the transaction already takes place, which is that it automatically transfers or now obligates you to hektesh, as opposed to a nether tzedakah, where, yes, you are now obligated to, to carry out the nether tzedakah, but there's no actual transference of ownership or change in ownership yet. You get to determine and you have to fulfill that in the future, 
and therefore it's different than Hekdesh and Arachin, and that's how the Rishonim answer how it's possible to engage in Posekli Aniim, or giving Tzedakah Aniim, which is a nether Tzedakah, even though one is not permitted to do such things when it comes to Hekdesh. People can get together to take care of something that is life-threatening on Shabbat. Meaning, as Rashi says over here, but the Rashi is sakana, something that has danger involved. Pikuach dikombernon. Rashi says, which means to release or bring hatsala, the freedom to people. So whether these are people who are either in captivity or these are people whose lives are in danger, you can get people together and you can work on this on Shabbat. Upikuach rabim b'Shabbat, and you also can deal with the public's issues on Shabbat. Rashi over here seems to say Gagon Rashut, which is the government issues. We would assume that that means that there's also some sort of danger or serious difficulty that would be then for the Jewish community and engaging or dealing with it on Shabbat would somehow mitigate it or solve the problem. And therefore we allow you to engage or deal with it on Shabbat. And one is allowed to then visit the Batei Knesiot, to go to shuls, the Pakeach al Rabim, the Shabbat, to deal with these public issues on Shabbat. You're allowed to go to the theaters, or to the circuses, or the Basila Kaot or to the palaces, or the big armonot, the fakeach al rabim b'shabbat, in order to deal with those issues on Shabbat. Now that could also be, as Rashi says over there, because in those areas they gathered together, Beit Avad, they were meeting places for governmental decisions, never if you wanted to weigh in on the governmental decision, and it was important enough that it would affect the Jewish community significantly, either because of danger, or put a significant burden on the community, that one could go there on Shabbat, or visit these places, in order to weigh in, or to help the Jewish community on Shabbat, or bring people there to help out, whether it's because it's being voted on, or because it needs people to speak up, or the other possibility is that these were situations in which there were people that were thrown into the ring, like in the circuses and the theater, where they used to fight animals, or they were gladiator fights, and many times the Jewish captives or Jews were thrown in to fight, and the crowd sometimes could save one of the parties. They could either vote to see who should win, or vote whether they should go ahead and fight. And maybe over here, if you stack the deck, you'll be able to change the outcome or save the individual that's there. And so therefore, all these become permissible on Shabbat in order to save lives or pikuach nefesh. And on top of that, not just for pikuach nefesh and pikuach rabim, you're allowed to arrange shiduchim of children on Shabbat for erusin, Obviously, we're not just saying about the erusin or have a shiduch. We're talking about shiduchim that also involve monetary exchanges or deals in order to seal the shidduch. You can also hire a teacher to teach the child Torah, not just Torah, but to teach him a trade. Because as Rashi quotes from the Mishnah in Kiddushin, that a person who does not teach his child a trade is milamdolistut, as if he is training him to be a thief or to engage in illegal activities in order to support himself. And the Gemara earlier in Kiddushin and Daflamid says that that's one of the mitzvot that a father has to provide his child with a proper means for making a living. So the Gemara answer is, that's not a problem. Amar Kra, the Pasuk says, Mimtzo chefsecha v'dober davar. Chafatzecha asurim chefsei shemaim mutarim. It's only your possessions that are problematic. It is not the possessions of shemaim that are problematic. So the governing principle over here is that's chafatzecha. When it's dealing with your issues, then you have a problem of daber davar. You can't speak or articulate. You can't engage in those activities. Whether it's mechach or memkar, whether it's speaking or articulating, whether it's mechach or memkar, maybe even according to Tosavot, 
even speaking about divrei chol, period, those things are problematic in terms of deber davar. Hirur is mutar. But with regards to chafzei shamayim, they don't have those restrictions. Anything that is for a Kodesh Baruch Hu, that's done for a mitzvah, that has the permissibility to be spoken about even on Shabbat. And that's what permits all of these items. As well as these are the items that are found in the Zmirot that we sing about on Shabbat. These are items that are mentioned. Tinok Olam Do Sefer and Hashadai Chabanot. These are all items that are mentioned because they are chafzei shamayim that are permissible on Shabbat. Amar Rabbi Yehuda Cheshbonot Shel Melech. It's not clear what this means. We'll explain that in one second. B'shel mabikach, or things that are not meaningful, mutar l'chashbein b'shabbat. You're allowed to engage in them on Shabbat. So Rashi over here says, cheshpanot shel melech. One possibility Rashi brings is, shel eitzah, sheno shelo, v'en tzarich b'kach. He's talking about items that have nothing to do with him. They have no ramifications for him. He's not in this parshia at all. And he's talking about them. So he can do the cheshbonot because they're not related to him or have no impact on him. Another possibility Rashi brings is, V'lir nira kamo malacha. Malacha l'cheshbonot alaru, re'enu tzarech v'hem lo l'cha v'lo l'acher. Or they are more meaningless types of engagements, which, if you look in the Rabbeinu Hananel, he brings down a possibility of, cheshbonot shumabikach, is kamo sh'yechashev adam cheshbon kagon chayalot ha-melech. He tries to figure out how much it's costing the king to have an army of this size. Or he's figuring out how much the government needs to spend in order to have a standing army. Then all of those things are meaningless to him personally. They have no bearing on him. They're not part of his Mekah Memkar. And that's maybe Cheshbonot Shel Melech. That's another possibility that Rashi brings. It's also brought in the Oroch. Another possibility which the Rabbeinu Hanano also brings over here is that Perish Melech is from Orchim. And you can see that in the note in the Mesorah of the Shaz as well, where he notes that Vayavo Halech meaning that the people who are coming and going, these are the people that are the visitors. He's trying to figure out how much food he needs to get or all the things he needs to get together to do the Hachnas HaDorchim. So again, that's an engagement in an issue that is mitzvah-oriented. And since it's Orchim, it is permissible. So that's also brought here in the Rebbein O'Chanan on the Oroch as well. So those are the different possibilities of Cheshvanot Shel Melech. And then, the Gemara is going to explain now, what does it mean? Things that are meaningless on Shabbat. Tanya Namiochi, we have a bright that supports that. Cheshvanot She'avru. Cheshvanot that were in the past. Bishadim Liot, or are going to be in the future. Asur Cheshbein. Those are problematic on Shabbat. Shel Melech, or Shel Mabikach, Mutar Lechoshvan. So that bright that says, similar to what we said before, that those Cheshvanot of Melech and Mabikach those are permissible to be done on Shabbat. Birmini, is that really true? We have another brighter that says, Choshvim cheshbonot she'enan tzrichim, ve'imach shivin cheshbonot she'tzrichim. This Shabbat. You're allowed to engage in calculations, accounting, discussions of matters that are not necessary on Shabbat or have no meaning or bearing on Shabbat. But that's not true for things that are needed on Shabbat. Kate said, explain to me what those are. Omer adam lechavero, kach v'kach po'alim, hoseiti al sadezo. I spent or I hired this many poalim to work in this field. I paid this and this much money for this house. He can't say to him, This is how much I paid in the past. And this is how much more I have to do in the future. Because that means that it's still an engagement that he is interested in and still active in dealing with it. So if it's something in the past, that would be fine as long as it's something that's really in the past and he has no engagement with it anymore. And also the person who he is speaking to has no interest in buying a house or engaging Paulim now. So it's meaningless from both of the perspectives. It's just talking about something that happened in the past. 
On the other hand, if it's something that is of relevance in the present or in the future, that would be problematic. And the Gemara says, well, based on that, you now have a problem, which is the previous bright that said that any cheshbon that was in the past or in the future is problematic. And then you have a bright here saying that outlays that were in the past are fine to speak about. The Gemara says, Wait a minute, forget about the fact that this Brita is problematic for the previous Brita. The previous Brita itself says things that are in the past are problematic. And then it says, mutar. That if it has no bearing on you, then it's mutar. That's an internal stira in the Brita. Why do you need to bring another Brita? Ella. The answer is, Depends if he's still engaged with these Poalim. If he was something that he did in the past, but he has yet to pay them, then it's still relevant. So that's what the first Brita was saying. Things that are in the past are still problematic because they still have present ramifications for you. Even though they're done with their work and they're finished and you're not hiring them anymore, but you haven't paid them yet. So that's still in the world of relevance for you of Mekkah or Memkar and Shabbat. You can't discuss it. The Brita that says Mabakach is okay or that is explained in the latter Brita that says things in the past are not meaningful, that's when the job is completely done. You're finished paying. You're finished with everything that's there. It has no bearing on your current state or situation. There you can discuss it as if it's a fact in the past because it's not relevant anymore especially or only if the other person you speak to also doesn't have relevance. If he's in the market for a house, or he's trying to figure out real estate deals, and you're telling him this information, then that becomes problematic as well. So the only time you can do it is, for instance, somebody buys a beautiful sports car. You have no intent on buying a sports car, and he's done paying for it, and it's his now, and he just tells you how much he paid for his fancy sports car. So that would be fine because it's irrelevant in terms of Mecha Chumem card, something that happened in the past. It's just a fact of life that he owns a sports car that costs that much money. And therefore you can discuss it because it has no Mecha Chumem card bearing on Shabbat. And that would be permissible on Shabbat. So there we are with the conclusion of what it is permitted to discuss on Shabbat. First of all, Chefsei Shamaim, things that deal with mitzvot, Sorchei Rabim, are permissible to be discussed on Shabbat. We also saw here that things that are in the past and have no bearing whatsoever they are permissible to be spoken about on Shabbat. And we saw also that Hirurim, having just thoughts, are permissible on Shabbat, as long as they are not connected to a Dibur. We saw that there are two possibilities of either Hirurim, if they are connected to Mecha Chumemkar, there's some like the Bayatosa put early on that say that's completely Asur, even if it's a Hirur. Other Rishonim say that Hirur is allowed, as long as it's done Derach Remez, and as long as the Remez only engages the activity after Shabbat, and that Dibur is okay, that's like Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha. We saw also the Rishonim that said that it's not permissible when it's done Derech Remiza, and that's why they paskened against Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha. We saw all of those different possibilities here, and with regards to Allah, we do paskend like Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha, and we do try to avoid anything that has to do with Mekach Umemkar, unless it's done Derech Remiza and only be after Shabbat. Tanur Banan, Masi Bechassir Echad, Peretz Betoch Sadeu. He had some sort of breach in the wall or the fence of his field. And he saw it on Shabbat, and he said, you know what, I'm going to fence it in, I'm going to take care of it. And then he remembered that it was Shabbat. And he decided that since he thought about it on Shabbat, he wasn't going to do it anymore because it was a hero on Shabbat. It seems from this that this he was doing Lifnim Yishurat Adin. He only had Hirur, which we saw before, Dibura Sur Hirur is Mutar. And therefore, Lefnimi Shirat Adin, he's decided that since he had these Hurim on Shabbat, that he wasn't going to do it, he wasn't going to engage with it on Shabbat. And that's why he did this, and that's why he's called a Hasid, because of that activity. You could argue that the reason he didn't engage in it is because, yes, he had Hurim, but these were Hurim about work or real malocha that he was going to do. 
and he had thought to do it on Shabbat and only realized afterwards, and that's why he desisted from doing it. But the more likely is the first explanation because he seems to be rewarded for the fact that he did this, which seems to indicate he was going Lifnim Yeshur at the Din, which is Venasalones, Baltobod Salaf, and a miracle happened, and in that breach of the wall grew a caper bush. From that he was able to support himself and his family from the caper bush, which we saw in the Gemara and Brachot, has three different parts of its produce. As Rashi notes over here, it has perot, it has, if you note, it has berries, it has kafrisim velulavim. It has flowers and shoots, all of which are edible parts of the caper bush, and he was able to make a living from that. And that was his reward from desisting from doing this malacha that he had thought about doing on Shabbat. I will go to this city tomorrow, even though he's unable to go to that city today, and that's because it's beyond the Tchom Shabbat that he's currently found in. Why? Because Had it been that there were huts along the way, he would have been able to go. This is a reference to the Gemara in Eruvin, which says that, again, that a city has a perimeter around it. From the edge of the perimeter of the city, you have 2,000 on to continue on. If you have huts or places that are, are inhabited that are within 70 and two-thirds amot of the city, that extends the perimeter of the city. An extended perimeter of the city allows you then to start your 2,000 amot only from that extended perimeter. So if you had these huts that led from this city to the next city, even on Shabbat, you'd be able to walk between the two cities. Now, the truth is, they're not there. But since that is a possibility, and it can be done in a mutter way, Shmuel says, if you say it on Shabbat, it is permissible, because you could say, I'm going to such and such a city tomorrow. You're not saying how you're going to that city, you're not saying what mechanism you're using, but since it could be mutar to do it on Shabbat, when you say you're going to do it, it's not problematic of the Ber Davar to speak about such a thing on Shabbat. Now, Tosvot also adds that it's not just about this individual himself, but Sarech Lomar, Dolo Nakat Shmuel Dapka Lekrach Ploni Ani Olech, it's not just me, I'm going there. You can tell someone else to go to this other city on your behalf tomorrow. It's not limited to you yourself. Which means that Tosavo thinks that you would have thought the possibility that there's a restriction on the individual himself to saying this about himself and with regards to someone else. Because had it not been for these Burganim, Tosavo says, on the top Tosavo on Kupno Namad Aleph, he says that the only reason that it's mutar for you to speak about it is because of the Burganim. The other hand, the Ramban over here suggests that as far as the person themselves, there's no problem even without Burganim to say this matter. And the Chiddush here is only that you're asking someone else to go with you or asking someone else to go on your behalf. And that's the Chiddush over here because there's no Easter for the individual themselves. It's only Easter for you to engage someone else to do this. And that's the Chiddush of Shmuel over here. One is not allowed to go out to the edge of the Tchum in order to hire Polim, or to bring Peirot after Shabbat. You can't hire Polim on Shabbat, and therefore to go there at the end of Shabbat to wait to go hire Polim is problematic. If it's going to bring fruits, Shmuel just told us, if you could do it in a mutter way, so leima, shemyesha mechitzot, mevi. Why can't you say that there were mechitzot? If there were mechitzot, he could bring the payroll back. Now, part of the question revolves, as Balitos will point out, because as Abba Shol says in our Mishnah, he equates the ability to articulate something with the ability to be machshich alatchum. So then if you look at the transitive property, Shmuel says, I can speak about something, that if it could be done in a heter way on Shabbat, even though there is no head there. And Abba Shaul also says, well, if you 
can't speak about it on Shabbat, then you can actually go to the edge of the Tchum to do it. So if Shmuel says that I can speak about going to the city tomorrow because the possibility there will be Burganim huts on the way and it will be Mutar, that means that I should be able to go to the edge of the Tchum to go to the city tomorrow. Or if I can't bring Peirot on Shabbat, I can speak about bringing Peirot on Shabbat because maybe there would be Mechitzot there. If there are Mechitzot there, I could bring the Peirot back into me because it would be permissible to carry. Well, if I could speak about it, that means I'm also going to go to the edge of the Tchum. And over here, the Mishnah says you can't go to the edge of the Tchum in order to bring back the Peirot. So then, how does you reconcile with Shmuel? Now, Balya Tosafot asks over here, why does the Gemara have to ask this on Shmuel? You can see there's an internal steer in the Mishnah. The Mishnah indicates that you are allowed to be machshich ala tchum peirot, in order to go out and watch the peirot. What's the reason you can do that? It's obviously because of Shmuel's din. Shmuel's din is if there are burganim, if there were these huts, it would allow you to extend your tchum and to walk out to that area. And just like you could then walk out to be Shomer on Shabbat, these items, therefore you can speak about leaving the Tchum and walking out to that area on Shabbat. And if you can do that, Abishol tells us that you can also be Machshich al So since you can speak about watching those fruits, reaching those areas that are beyond your reach right now on Shabbat, because of the possibility that there could have been Burganim there, and since there is that possibility, you could speak about it. If you can speak about it, you can be Machshich al if that's the whole reason behind the Mishnah, then the same problem that we're asking on Shmuel exists for the Mishnah itself, because the Mishnah is premised on Shmuel's head there. This is the Baliyat Tosafot, the Shittatam, that the whole Mishnah uses Shmuel as the mechanism for allowing you to do certain things. So the Baliyat Tosafot make a suggestion here that absent Shmuel, you would have read the Mishnah differently, and you would have split the Mishnah into two different types of speech which is that when you're speaking about yourself, you could have, unlike Shmuel, said whatever you wanted. And that's because speaking about yourself has no impact. No malacha ever takes place. Nothing is ever engaged because of your speaking about yourself. On the other hand, if you ask someone else to do something on your behalf, that articulation causes the other person to act or to engage in an activity. We would have thought, There's nothing that you can't say about yourself. I'll hire the people tomorrow. I'll build this building tomorrow. You could have done that. Because we would have thought, only when you speak to your friend, is it a sur? When you say to him, Because his statement, or his engagement with his friend, causes action. Because his amira has no impact, it makes no difference. When Rabbi Shol says over here that the ability to stay on the Tchum is dependent on what you can say, it's not about what you can say about yourself, it's what you can say about another party. And therefore, without Shmuel, we would have assumed that you could go and be Shomer the Peirot on the edge of the Tchum, because when you say something about yourself, it's not meaningful. It's not meaningful then you can also go and wait on the edge of the Tchum to take care of it. It's only when you're talking about someone else, does Abishol say that maybe there's a problem with me, but once you enter Shmuel into the picture, and Shmuel says, there are also restrictions about what you say about yourself, and sometimes things that you say about yourself are permitted, sometimes they're not permitted, then all of a sudden Shmuel's din becomes relevant to Abishol's statement in the Mishnah. And that's why the Gemara has a problem now once Shmuel's entered into the picture. Because once Shmuel enters into the picture, it means that the whole reason you're allowed to go and be machshich al in order to be Shmuel the Peirot is because of what Shmuel says. You're allowed to tell someone 
I'm going out to go to that city, and that's all because of Burganin. And once you enter that possibility of doing a behet there, that's what allows you to speak about it. That's what allows you to be machshich al Then you can ask the question, why can't you also say, I'm going to the edge of the tchum to go bring payrot? Since there's a possibility that you could do it with mechitzot and bring them in behet there, that should allow you to speak about it on Shabbat. If you can speak about it on Shabbat, you should be able to be machshich al That's why Shmuel's in dissonance with our Mishnah, as opposed to the internal Mishnah that could have been explained without Shmuel's din to not create a stira between the possibility or the ability to go to the edge of the tchum in order to watch your peyrot, which has to do with your own personal statements, which there are no restrictions for on Shabbat in the Havamino, as opposed to Havashol's din that only restricts you when you're speaking about someone else. And in that way, the mission itself would have been fine, but Shmuel's din then creates the problem or the dissonance with the Mishnah. On the other hand, the Marsha suggests that absent Tosafot, he would have suggested that the reason you're allowed to go to the edge of the Tchum in order to be Shomer Perot after Shabbat is not because of Shmuel's heter. Like we said, the Tosafot uses the Burganim in order to be Matir, such a thing, and that's what creates the whole problem here. But rather, the heter is premised on the fact that you could ask someone else in the other area, in that Tchum, to watch it on your behalf. Since you can ask someone to do it on your behalf, therefore you yourself now can be Machshich on the Tchum in order to go and do it after Shabbat. At least if you didn't have Shmuel, the Hedra has nothing to do with Burganim. It has to do with the fact that you can get someone else to do this on your behalf. Along comes Shmuel and says, no, this is to do with you yourself being able to say it. And that's what the Matir over here. Your ability to articulate it is because you could possibly do it the Hedra. Since you yourself could do it, therefore you can be Machshich Shalotchum. And that's what creates the stira with the Mishnah. Absent Shmuel, I would have thought the Mishnah has nothing to do with what you can do. It's what you can get done. Maybe that if you could ask others to do it on your behalf, and you could do Shmirat HaPeirot, whether it's by you or by someone else, that's enough to allow you then to be Machshich HaLatchum. And then you could have reconciled the Mishnah without Shmuel. Once Shmuel comes along and says, this is not about you asking someone else to be Shmirat HaPeirot, it's about you yourself had the possibility to be Shmirat HaPeirot because of the Burganim. That's what creates the Heter over here. So that's how the Marshal solves the problem, to say that it's only a problem for Shmuel. And that's why the question is only on Shmuel and not on the Mishnah itself. So the Gemara says, that's no problem. It's a case where they are attached to the ground. And since they're attached to the ground, cutting them would be a molocha that you can't do. There's nothing you could do on Shabbat that would permit that cutting to be done on Shabbat itself. And therefore you can't be machshich al to bring them back, or Shmuel's din is not influential in that case. You're not allowed to go to the edge of the tchum to bring back straw and stubble. When you're talking about the stubble that's growing out of the ground, you find that that's still attached to the ground, and that would be a problem on Shabbat. Tosafot over here claims that it's not a problem of Ktsirah, because this is already dried out and dead. It's a problem of Miyapet Takarka. It's Choresh, that you're making the land look better by pulling it out of the ground. But nevertheless, it is a Melocha on Shabbat, and that's why you would not be permitted to go to the edge of the Tchum to wait to do that after Shabbat, because you yourself couldn't do it on Shabbat in a heter manner. Elateven, straw by definition, is something that's already detached. How can you have a case that it is problematic on Shabbat? Why can't you just put out the mechitzot and bring it back? If you could do that, then you should be able to go to the edge of the tchum because Shmuel says you're allowed to speak about that on Shabbat. It's talking about rotten or spoiled straw. 
which is muksa. So the problem is not just a carrying problem, it's a problem of muksa, and you can't engage with it, or you can't bring it back, beheter on Shabbat. Since that's the case, you can't be machshich alotchum, because you can't speak about it, or speak about doing that, or engaging that on Shabbat. Tosavot does note that earlier in the Gemara, it said that rotten straw you could use per machal behema, and therefore it would not be muksa. So he says there are different gradations of spoiling. Sometimes spoiling is still okay for behema, it's not muksa. Whereas there are times where it's so spoiled that it has no purpose for Shabbat. It can only be used for making cement or doing things that are not permissible on Shabbat. And therefore it would be muksa on Shabbat. Tashma. Makshichim ala tuchum nepakeach al iskei kalav al One is allowed to go to the edge of the tuchum in order to be ready to take care of things for the hachnasat kalav, for the wedding, or for things that deal with a mate that has passed away. Al iskei mate in. So the deal you would say is that you're allowed to do this for a kalav or a mate but other items or for other people it would not be permissible. What is a similar situation which you would be permitted to do it for kala and not for someone else? Going to cut down myrtle. Myrtle was used for the making of the chuppah or decorating or having as an dormant for the bride. So that you're allowed to do even though it's a sewer on Shabbat to be cutting hadasim, since it's a mitzvah, we allow you to go to the edge of the tchum for that mitzvah, because it's chefzei shamayim, to go after Shabbat to go cut the hadasim to bring them back for the kalah. Had it been for your own purposes, that you wanted the hadasim for their nice smell, or you wanted to sell them, that would be problematic, because you can't do it on Shabbat, therefore you can't speak about it, you can't speak about it, you can't go to the edge of the tchum to do it, and there's no way you could do it permissibly on Shabbat, because it's attached to the ground. Elamate, my new, what are you doing for a mate that you're not permitted to do on Shabbat, they were allowing you to go to the edge of the chum to take care of. That's to bring him a coffin or to bring him shrouds, garments for the mate. That is something that you could have brought on Shabbat had you just put up mechitzot and you were allowed to go out of tchumim, you had the burganim, you could have done that on Shabbat. If that's the case, then, okay, for mate, we allow you to go to the edge of the chum because it's a mitzvah. But, for someone else, why couldn't you do it also according to Shmuel's din? Shmuel Zin says if you could speak about it, because you could possibly get their behet there, you could get their behet by putting up burganim or mechitzot and bringing them in on Shabbat. If that's the case, then you could speak about it. It means you could go to the edge of the tchum and wait at the end of Shabbat for that. Dani mate in of alacher lo. But it says you're going to do it for me, not someone else. Vamai. Lema she'esham mechitzot, maybe. Because if there were mechitzot there or the burganim there, they would allow you to go out or bring back that which is there. We would allow you to speak about it. If you'd like to speak about it, you could go to the edge of the tchum to wait for it. My says, mate nami mishkach about the migzalei glima. Case of a mate is also where it's real malacha. Where you're cutting out the cloth for making the garb for the mate, the tachrichim for the mate, you're doing that by cutting, stitching, you're making it, it's a real malacha that you're going to do, and since that would not be permissible on Shabbat, we allow you for a mitzvah, for the taking care of the mate, we allow you to go to the edge of the tchum to take care of it immediately after Shabbat, but for your own personal needs, we wouldn't let you do that, because you couldn't speak about it on Shabbat, because there's no way to do a behet there, and therefore, there's no right to go to the edge of the tchum to wait for it after Shabbat. Now, this has, obviously, halachic ramifications, which is important how you articulate what you're saying. I mean, if a person says that I'm going to another city, they could say, I'm going to such and such a city tomorrow, that's fine to say on Shabbat, because there's no indication of how you're going to get there, there's no indication of a melocha that you're going to engage in. And since there are ways to create a hetter for you to get to that city on Shabbat, since that could be done theoretically, it's okay for you to speak about it on Shabbat. Then if you can say, I'm going to drive to such and such a place after Shabbat, that's problematic because there you're saying the mechanism from which you're doing this or getting there is a malocha. 
and that you're not allowed to speak on about on Shabbat, because that's not something you're permitted to do on Shabbat. Since you couldn't do it in a permitted way on Shabbat, you can't speak about it in that manner, and it becomes a problem of the Ber Davar. You're speaking about Divrei Chol, you're speaking about doing a Malocha after Shabbat, and that would be problematic, and that's what we garner from this Gemara over here. Aval Machshichim says here, you can go to the edge of the Tchum. Where it says, Abdil, he doesn't have to make Abdullah first to go to the edge of the Tchum and then go engage in Malocha immediately after Shabbat. Why does he have to make Abdullah? Person can't engage in his own personal needs until he makes Abdullah. You can't engage in anything, it sounds like. If you want to say, okay, he did Abdullah in Tfilo, don't we have the Gemara in Brocho that said, Even though you made Abdullah in Tfilo, you still have to make Abdullah Alakos afterwards. So say here, the case here is the case where he said Habdol and Tfila. He said Habdol Ika. Wait a minute. Remember, he's at the edge of the Tchum. He's in the middle of nowhere. Waiting. Where does he have a cup of wine to make Habdol on? He's out by the grape presses. And so there's grape juice out there. There are wine that's in the Borod, in the cisterns that are capturing the wine. They're out there, and he's able to make Abdullah. So the solution to the problem is to say he did say Abdullah in Tefillah, and he did say Abdullah al-Hakos, and then he continues on to do the Malacha. I'm going to Rabbi Alba, the Ravashi. Rabbi Alba says to Ravashi, in Eretz Yisrael, we have a different solution. We say, All you have to do is say, And we do everything that we need. So now Rashi says over here, you just need to do it to show or demonstrate that Shabbat has ended. To accompany the king of Shabbat that is leaving. So Rashi has two chidushim over here. Number one is that you don't need Shemu Malchut. He just says, you say, without Hashem's name in it. Number two, Rashi says is, that if he did Habdullah and Tefillah, then you don't need to say Baruch HaMavdu Ben That's even better than Baruch HaMavdu Ben so those are two chidushin Rashi. Number one, if you said Abdullah in tefillah, it would be enough. And number two is if you don't say it in tefillah, you can say it without shame and malchut, and that would be enough to allow you to do malacha afterwards. On the other hand, the Rif suggests over here that you need shame and malchut. You can't just say Baruch HaMavdil Ben Kodesh Sechol. You need to say Baruch HaTashem, Elokeinim Elcholam, HaMavdil Ben Kodesh Sechol. You need a full Abdullah. And there are other Rishonim based on the Rif that suggest you also need a Kos. And that the Chedesh Rabbi Abba over here is not that you don't need to make Abdullah at all, a la Kos. We don't need to do the normal trappings of Abdullah. Rather, you can do a concise Abdullah. Rather than saying all the Abdullah that we say, Abdullah, Ben Kodesh Lechol, Ben Oda Choshu, Ben Yisrael, Amin. You don't have to say all of that. You can just take a Kos and quickly say, Baruch Hashem, Elkenem, Elcholem, Abdullah, Ben Kodesh Lechol. And that would be enough to free you to do these Chafatzim. And the Griz on the Rambam in Per Chavtet, Elchot Shabbat, Halacha Hei, in the Rambam, suggests that the Machlok Rashi and the Rif relates to what the problem of doing Malacha before you say Abdullah is. Is the problem of doing Malacha or Abdullah a problem that you're not allowed to engage in your activities or anything that you want to do before you say Abdullah? Just like you're not allowed to do anything that is your Chafatzim before you daven in the morning. So that's the same problem over here. It has nothing to do with Malacha. It has to do with whether you are permitted to do something before you make Abdullah. There's a mitzvah in front of you. You need to take care of that mitzvah beforehand. On the other hand, it could be the possibility that the problem is malacha. And only things that are lamentet malachot would be problematic for you to engage in. And therefore, you need to make Abdullah to free you of the lamentet malachot. And so that's why the riff suggests here you need a real Abdullah. You need Abdullah lakos. You need a shema malchut. Because the problem in Ma'akev here is that you're not allowed to engage in your own activities. Just like you're not allowed to do that before Davin. You're not allowed to do it before Abdullah. 
She needs to do a real havdalah to free you. Then Rashi thinks that the problem here is that you're not allowed to engage in malacha before you say havdalah. And therefore any havdalah, a hekeir ba'amu, will be sufficient to free you of the lamentet malachot. And that's why you can go on your way afterwards, even though you're going to later on come back and make havdalah and take care of the havdalah. And that would then be the machloket between them, based on what you think chafatzav, or the problem is, is chafatzav. Anything? Well, Chavatzav means things that are Malachet Shabbat. And so then Ravashi says, when we were in Bay Rav Kahana, we used to just say, and then immediately afterwards we used to chop wood, or according to others, gather wood together. And those are obviously problems of Malacha on Shabbat. And nevertheless, was sufficient. And again, it would be subject to the difference that we saw between Rashi and the Rif, as to what exactly that means, I'm Abdul Ben Kosh Okay, we're going to stop here by the two dots on the bottom of Kufnun Amudbet.